0: Welcome to Housing Matters, the Vancouver Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Stuart McNish, coming to you from the studios at O'Boy Productions in Vancouver. Today, we're looking at issues related to foreign buyers. As we all know, the provincial government under Christy Clark introduced a foreign buyers tax, and then once in power, the NDP bumped it up. They also determined that absentee owners were speculators and put a tax on empty homes and a tax on homes valued at more than $3 million. And in Vancouver, Mayor Robertson, when he was mayor, also implemented an empty home tax. Then along comes Douglas Todd, who uncovered a little fact about underreported income, especially in homes where the family lives here and the main income earner lives in another country. The result being the family benefits from the advantages of living in Canada without paying the requisite income tax. Douglas Todd joins us to explain how it impacts all of us And it is a dereliction of responsibilities of residency and citizenship. Realtor Gary Wong says, eh, not so fast. He points out that sales of homes to foreign buyers are actually good for the economy, and he believes the issue has been twisted to fit political objectives. So let's start with Douglas Todd. Douglas, welcome. Thank you. Very nice to meet you. I've been a fan of your work for a long time. This is the, uh, like, let me bow down and go, oh, my <laughs> well- gosh, you're you're great. Uh, but you moved away from what so many of us knew you as, as a reporter who was dealing on faith-based issues and uh, responsibility around citizenship and so on, into now starting to report about real estate.
2: Yeah. Why did that shift happen? It's, it was an unpredictable shift. I've, as you say, I've written about religion for decades, and and in that, ethical issues and diversity, because when you're covering religion, you're covering the Muslims who are from 132 countries. You're covering the Buddhists who are from mostly Asia. Mm-hmm. You're, you, it's, you're covering diversity. And then about six or seven years ago, as the... In a way, as the staff shrunk, they said, Doug, we'd like to do more on migration issues, Mm -hmm. labor markets and stuff like how this is all affecting Canada. And I I said, (laughs) OK. Yeah. But then pretty quickly, I started getting into covering real estate because migration and real estate in Metro Vancouver are hugely connected, as you know. They are synonymous. As now everybody (laughs) pretty well knows. And then eventually I was covering tax loopholes that the international migrants uh, use. Um, and particularly what are now called satellite families. They kind of used to call them astronaut dads Mm -hmm. and stuff, but now it's satellite families. And, um, yeah, in 2015, I did a big profile of Richmond, right? Richmond Mm is 60% foreign-born people, which is almost unheard of in the world. 60%, 60%. yeah. 60%. Even New York is 35%, right? Right. And we think that's the most cosmopolitan city in the world and stuff like that. So, anyways, as I was doing this profile of Richmond, this series, The former mayor, Greg uh, Mm Halsey-Prant, and he pointed out there's this neighborhood in Richmond called Thompson, which is right near the airport, very high end. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, he was aware of the data that showed it was, the incomes being reported in that neighborhood were as poor as the downtown east side. Right. (laughs) And so how's that possible? And he said, what's (laughs) happening is they're not reporting their global income. Uh, the people who tend to live in these pretty nice, very nice houses, some of them. And I, this is kind of new to me. And it was pretty controversial because, you know, the suggestion that some foreign born people here are not paying their full uh, uh, share of taxes, mm-hmm. especially them, was through the roof controversial. Um, Oh, yeah, you were labeled as
0: being xenophobic.
2: Yes, that happened to. It was pretty tense. And Mm -hmm. I like to think of myself as a nice person, right? (laughs) (laughs) I like people. I like people of all colors. And uh, I'm genuinely curious about different cultures and stuff like that. But this was a finding about money. And I didn't even quite believe it at first, but then checked it out with a bunch of people, including um, some race relations people, people of color, lots of them. And they said, oh, yeah, this is probably going on. Mm-hmm. And so that was in 2015, and I wrote a couple of follow-up stories about mansion owners not paying, they're, don't, they're reporting low incomes. Yeah. This is based on Dan Hebert out at UBC and some serious data, like I wasn't going to go at this without serious data. And um,
0: No, because look at the can of worms that you opened. Yeah. You better know what you're talking about.
2: And now and it was very controversial. The B.C. Liberals were in power, and they, they were saying, oh, no, the foreign buyers and foreign ownership, which is slightly different, they're, it's not a serious issue here. Uh, but as time's gone by, as you notice, the NDP and David Eby and mm-hmm. um, Eddie Ann and stuff like that have and picked Premier up on or- this issue. they yeah, are they're the- picked up this issue of satellite families, and even they've been kind of underplaying it. But the more and more you look at it, you realize how much the speculation and vacancy tax is about trying to get satellite families to um, be honest about um, declaring um,
1: what where their true where income it, is. What so oh, uh, income
2: uh, is, yeah. and you and know, they, how can somebody in a five million dollar house be saying they pay one thousand four hundred dollars in Canadian taxes. Right, that came out when the investor program was killed in two thousand fourteen by Jason Kennedy. That was what he said. That these, peop- these people came in the investor program. They, on average, they're paying one thousand four hundred dollars a year in um, in federal taxes or mm-hmm. income taxes in Canada. Meanwhile, they're by definition they're millionaires, right? And then there's other studies.
0: Definition, just being property ownership. What was yes. the amount of money that they had to have to have been able to buy that house in the first place? So right. and they had cash and they yeah. have resources. Yeah, and
2: just to be able to come in, they had to say they were going to invest almost a million dollars in Canada. And so, and hopefully
0: create jobs. And exactly that
2: was the dream of the investor program. It was, yeah, yeah.
0: that it was going to create more revenue for governments, not
2: not, uh, drain their resources. Yeah, but then people slowly realized, and I started realizing as I covered migration because I was asked to, (laughs) (laughs) that um, a lot of migrants, you know, David Lay is obviously good at this at UBC. Um, The rich migrants, they mostly want the safe haven and the second passport, the safe passport, and they want their kids to go to school in English-speaking um, universities and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And But they still wanna make their money. Some well, in else. this case, in Asia. Yeah. For Vancouver, it's mostly Asia, mm-hmm. where they don't pay Canadian income taxes on the money they're making offshore. So there are some yeah. people, and I've ha- had this discussion
0: with people who go, well, so what, who cares? Right. Well, we do care <laughs> I care. <laughs> you know, because your family's here. They're benefiting from all of the advantages that come with Canadian uh, residency and citizenship. Yeah. Um, but they're not paying their fair share on an ongoing basis. Yes, they paid tax to buy uh, property tax and, you know, and, you know, the sales tax and, and when they bought their house like and that, all that kind of like stuff. That, yeah. But that only goes so far. Yeah and 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 this becomes an important issue. Why is it important? because let's take your you know real estate migration uh reporting uh, and put it aside for a second and yeah. talk about why it's important that we who choose to call this country home uh, know that we have an obligation to contribute to supporting the system that we all value, and clearly people from out-
2: around the world value as well right this is Canada is one of the best countries in the world. I mean, and I'm not even a rah-rah guy, but you know, statistically I am. Yeah, I am. we're in the top thirty countries in terms of stability, trust in the government, trust in the police force. All those things, right? Can make a living and all that stuff. So we are very attractive. What are we expected to contribute to society? Yeah, that's always been a big thing for me. Like I I consider myself a communitarian, (laughs) and some people consider themselves libertarians. I mean, to put it crudely, yeah. And a libertarian would be less inclined to think that a resident or citizen has a duty to the common good, whereas communitarians would think that. That we've all. I mean, this. This is a good society because it's stable because people can pay their taxes mm-hmm. uh, they don't kill each other, they're polite, but you know paying for infrastructure is huge right so it's responsibility kind of expect-
0: it's a responsibility that comes with residency and citizenship yeah.
2: otherwise you get the freeloader phenomena right yeah, some people f- get a free ride while others especially hardworking people like some of us <laughs> <laughs> are, are paying the middle class are get hard hit with yeah. taxes right it yeah. is a bit painful but If people are getting away from that, that's not fair in my mind. Some would disagree. Or as you say, they don't care.
0: (laughs) Well, but I do care because those are the building blocks of the society that we all value. And and there really are responsibilities to citizenship. I'm going to quote George Bush, the junior, in his inauguration who said, I ask you to be good citizens that's right responsible citizens and remember this is george bush yeah (laughs) it's like wow and not to seek out easy answers to complex uh situations yeah this is our responsibility and paying our fair share is a big part of that yeah um because it means that we contribute to the and, and support what we care for so much. So yeah, you yeah. do all that reporting. Part of the response of that, of course, is the first of all the liberal government response by going, "Oh my gosh, uh, that's right. There is a problem," and they jump on it and they and they impose uh, maybe a little too quickly a foreign buyers tax
2: right out of the blue. And, and as people say, totally, almost totally against their usual um, pro free market right, added, you know, values. Mm-hmm. But they did it, and it immediately changed uh, the spike. Right, it went oh, down. Oh yeah, for, it was it was immediate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And but the, the foreign buyers tax, um, which is different from the speculation tax, obviously, yes, it but is. Um, they are kind of common in mm-hmm. in most popular cities around the world, especially Hong Kong, Singapore. Uh, I think London's got them. Mm-hmm. Mexico's New, got certain types. New, I
0: think New York even has some
2: uh, they, some form of it, don't they're they? They're thinking about a vacancy yeah. tax. Yes. Partly modeled on Vancouver, which is uh, impressive. Interesting, isn't it? Like in some yeah. ways, Vancouver is, in North America, ahead of the curve on this awareness of how foreign capital influences the housing market. Mm-hmm. And so in it comes. <laughs> and, yeah.
0: And, and and the NDP government have now increased the amount of that right. uh, foreign buyer tax. Yes. Um, because they recognize, as you pointed out, it needs to offset the loss of taxes, especially if there's a satellite family there and the main uh,
2: breadwinner isn't yeah. declaring the appropriate amount of income. Yeah. And then the, the speculation tax will go after the astronaut. It's usually a dad, right? Mm-hmm. In addition to that, and I like Josh. You've had Josh Gordon on. his have had Josh Gordon on. Yeah, yeah, I, I find him very clear. Some people don't, but <laughs>
0: he's, he's remarkably clear. Yeah,
2: yeah. He says um, that the uh, speculation taxes—it's a way to track them down. That's why there's that question in the forum about where do you pay half of, where where do you earn half your income? Mm-hmm. And then that will s- start raising probably red flags if. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody says they don't make much income. I mean, this is about information sharing, actually, yeah. between Revenue Canada, between land titles, and through the B.C. government, mm-hmm. and immigration, which we've been very casual about in Canada. This Don't do this information sharing, mm-hmm. but this will start sending out flags about, oh, this person's in a $6 million house, but... They claim no income, and then they, their social insurance number is now part of it. It's, it's going to make help the government connect dots.:
0: Well, and the government in Victoria now has also introduced legislation that's going to say you can no longer hide your identity on the uh, title on that property. Right. And that was designed, as you pointed out, to combat uh, some of the issues around money laundering. Yeah, right. So all of these things have a profound effect on the housing market in a variety of ways, right. from driving up the costs to not paying your fair share of taxes. Yeah. Where do you think we're at right now? From your perspective, you're, you're looking at this. Do you think we're starting to get a handle on this? And, and in the long run, we're going to help to uh, make the... Um, the real estate market uh, more reflective of the uh, locals' ability to
2: live and work here. That's the goal. Yeah. I mean, there will always be foreign capital coming into Vancouver because it's so attractive, right? right? If we could get the costs of houses closer to average wages, some meaningful connection. It's now thirteen point thirteen to 1 mm-hmm. ratio of housing prices to wages, which is three to one is considered affordable. Or
0: thirteen thirteen
2: to one. So it's ridiculous. You know, and I have a lot of young people in my life and and we all do. Mm -hmm. And I'm kinda concerned about them that they're not getting a chance to. And you know, their friends are moving out and because almost housing it's what everybody talks about in the city. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a hot topic. Yeah. So I would like some correlation between the labor market and the housing market. Mm -hmm. And I think these the foreign buyer's tax and speculation tax is starting to show an effect, Mm -hmm. right? Josh Gordon's done the the graphics on it and it's there. And the prices, the bidding wars are not there. Mm -hmm. Prices are falling very erratically. (laughs) Right. Um, And it's scary. I don't blame developers and builders and construction workers for being nervous, right? Well, they've backed off. They are backing off. Yeah. And I don't think they'll back off completely. It's, Partly you can't. You, it no. takes six years from a, from a div, you know, as Harold yeah, Monroe told me, from a, the you get an idea for a tower to finish it. So the builders are thinking long range, right? So people are hoping for a soft landing. And I I am too, obviously. And I, I do feel for um, people who bought in the last few years, you know, they see the value of the, what they bought has gone down 10 or 20%. That's scary.
0: Yeah, but I was just at a uh, an event put on by UDI. uh, The fellow who does the statistical analysis uh, for Rennie's intelligence network or agency of uh, Bob Rennie's uh, uh, agency, and he said, "Look, there's more than 300,000 people every year." immigrating into Canada. The government's uh, uh, indicated that that's going to go up to 325,000 yes. uh, annually, and more than 10% of those people are coming here. So there's 30, 40,000 people that are coming into BC. Over the last couple of years, there's been a little bit of uh, 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 net loss of migration uh, from people in BC to other provinces rather than the other way around. Exactly. So, but it's not enough to offset that. No. That ongoing wave of people who are going to keep coming here and keep coming here and keep coming here. So there's going to be, I can't help but think there's going to be a soft landing because the pressure on the market is always going to be there.
2: Exactly. Like 85% of the immigrants who come to BC come to Metro Vancouver. Right. Right. That's, it is about, as you just said, about 35,000 a year net growth. And they're pretty well all Mm foreign-born, right? And some of them aren't rich. Like Filipinos are now the biggest uh, group, and they tend to be lower income, right? Mm -hmm. So they're looking for an average um, kind of places to live and rent. The thing that doesn't get talked about too much, although the UDI has picked it up, is foreign international students Mm -hmm. and temporary uh, workers. There's actually 170,000 of them in Metro Vancouver now, and 110,000 of them are... Foreign students, international yeah. students, they need a place to rent, right? Yes. And some of them buy through their satellite <laughs> families, actually. <laughs> Whatever, you know, we yeah. all know the story of the $22 million home <laughs> owned by the foreign student. Right. But that's put some tremendous pressure on the, especially the rental market, is all these um, non permanent residents, as they're called.
0: Yeah, they're a transient population. Nobody talks
2: the- about them, except I get a bit frustrated. Like, why am I one of the few people writing about these? The impact of international students, it's...
0: Well, because it, go, it goes back to what you were doing about uh, migration. It is, yeah, I know. Yeah.
2: I know. It has... It's been fascinating to cover migration. Yeah. I've, everything... I'm learning so much, like every week.
0: Yeah. Well, keep it up because clearly what you have uncovered has influenced uh public policy and hopefully will benefit uh, all of us who choose to continue to call this glorious uh, place home. Right on. You know, I think that we all win by that. Thanks for coming in and sharing this. Thanks a lot, Stu. Joining me now is Gary Wong, who says, sorry, you got that wrong. Mr. Wong comes with a point of view that says foreign buyers are good for the market. They're good for the economy. And by extension, he says they're good for all of us. Gary, welcome. Thank you. You know, we just had Douglas Todd on, and of course, he's got all of the the points that have uh, been made about foreign buyers mm-hmm. and how they're maybe not paying their fair share of tax or this isn't good for the market That's and so right. on. That's right. And then I happened to come across your
1: video uh, on your channel, which is called? Yeah, Foreign Buyers and, and like, I forgot the exact title, but yeah. it's basically Foreign Buyers and on the Vancouver real estate market. And, and you say, hang on a second,
0: <laughs> all the hype that you're hearing right now is misguided. Why do you say that? Why do you think that the, um, the element of people who are buying property here in uh, British Columbia from outside of this jurisdiction is good for the economy, It's good for the market,
1: It's good for all of us? Well, I'll just, um, I won't sugarcoat it. I'll just say it as it is. Uh, from an economical perspective, from a th- uh, bird's eye view. Do you, want, do you want money coming into the economy, or do you want money leaving the economy? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, foreign buyers, they're not paying their fair share, but you don't see the, the, the amount of goods and services they're purchasing and how that brings money into the economy. Like, I used to be a $30,000 per year earner, and I paid my 30% tax, and I spent, you know, $10,000, so I paid $10,000 to the government and maybe spent a couple thousand over the year for my goods and services. Where here comes a foreign buyer, or somebody who owns, uh, um, who makes most of their money outside of Canada. They come in, uh, buy a yacht here, buy a luxury car here, and their taxes, or property transfer tax, and et cetera, to the government is far surpasses my contribution. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why they they demonize the, the foreign buyers and, and, and so you also pointed out of course that they're bringing in the money to buy the house as that's well That's right which can be millions of dollars That's so. right and then so when there's and, so th- and that money stays in the economy exactly. because it's going to the current owner That's right. And then when there's wealth that goes into the economy, then other business owners will be like, okay, so the wealthy people are living in Vancouver. Let's start up businesses, let's set up shop. So there's high-end brands like Hermes, Tiffany, De Beers, um, Hublot, and all the luxury brands start um, swarming, swarming Vancouver and setting up shop. So increase in business, increase in GDP, increase in job growth, increase in population because more people want to live here now, I don't know how that's bad for the economy. (laughs) Well, people point out that those people who have been living
0: here traditionally and aren't, you know, as well healed financially as the people that you're talking about are then being pushed
1: out of the market. True, true. I'm born and raised here. So I know what it's like. My parents were the middle class. They're an accountant and engineer making, you know, thirty to sixty thousand dollars a year. And is at that time houses were like two hundred thousand or three hundred thousand. It's totally different. So nowadays it's it's different. Now making thirty thousand dollars or sixty thousand dollars is considered poverty almost. Right. <laughs> right. Well, you can't. You'd be lucky if you can get into
0: social yeah. rental
1: housing yeah. uh, at fifty or sixty thousand dollars a year. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I know where they're coming from, but as times change, so do so should the incomes. But then, because of the job growth, the economy, and people get stuck in their um, in their job, and they don't find ways to uh, supplement their income, then they're stuck in this. Thirty to sixty thousand dollar range for a lifetime, mm-hmm. and it really doesn't. Um, it really doesn't help when the academic situ- uh, The academic institutions tell you, "Oh yeah, just get a nine to five job and you'll survive and you do well, and then, then you know your company will pay for your, uh, your your, uh, um, your pension and all that stuff." It's it's totally different from the generation, my parents' generation and my parents' parents' generation. So you're saying that that model of employment is outdated totally. and doesn't reflect totally. the reality. Totally.
0: So, no. so that, okay, you know that as well as I do that there are going to be people throwing stuff at you They're on totally the screen right sure. now going – <laughs> no, to
1: hell with you! <laughs> yeah, I get haters all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: what do you say to them when they when they actually confront you and they say, "Don't be ridiculous! I'm supposed to have the the, the appropriate work life balance." Yeah, like uh, and you're telling me that I should go out and work harder uh, if I want to
1: live here. How is that fair? So back in the day, it was fine when the companies like Ford and they would take care of you for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. But then. Uh, Social security came up, and then people died later, so they lived longer, and then the government wasn't going to support people to, to uh, you know, until they die. And then, so, and then came the internet and the revolution of having online businesses, and then there was the rich dad, poor dad, Robert Kiyosaki kind of thing, saying like, oh, don't work a nine-to-five. And then, so there's so many opportunities out there. It's no longer... A reason to say, well, I I just don't make enough money. I I can't find the money. It's no longer an excuse. Oh, I just don't know. I don't have the skills. Well, now that there's Google and there's like online education and there's um, Ivy League schools that provide free education online, there's like no excuse for people to say, like, I don't know how to do it, Gary. I I don't know how to find a supplementary income. And they they get into this... um, Entitlement mentality. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, then you think that that's standing in the way. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not blaming them for having this entitlement mentality because the society trained them that way, Mm -hmm. how their parents grew up, but their parents or their grandparents were living in a different generation in a different context where the companies did take care of you till you die. So you're
0: saying, uh, get used to it. This is what Vancouver real estate costs. And if you want to live here,
1: then you better figure out some way of making it affordable. I think people can afford it if they just step outside of their box and work harder and work differently. (laughs) <laughs> well, uh, I was just seeing something that Jack Moss said that you got to work the nine, nine, six.
0: Are you familiar with no, that? No, no. What is that? Nine to nine, six days a week. Oh, okay. And, okay. and, and there are, and there were people who were going, not my kind of boss. Yeah. Uh,
1: but you're saying, yeah, that's probably what you got to do. So I started off when I graduated high school and I was in university. I was working for the government and I saw, like, this was my experience. I'm not saying the government's like this in general, but my experience in the government for a short period of time that people were taking two-hour lunch breaks, two-hour coffee breaks, and, and um, the, it gave off a stereotype that the government workers were lazy. But that mm-hmm. was just my experience. I don't know um, what other people experienced, but just my personal experience, it was like that. And then later, I got into the job force, and people worked nine to six, and then if we worked half an hour over, they'd be like, oh, overtime. You know, and then... And then I started getting used to this kind of mindset, the union mindset or uh, the hourly mindset. And then I talked to some people who were born in Asia. And they were saying, like, oh, you guys are so lazy. You guys are so entitled and babied. And they're working, like, 12 hours a day regularly. And they're hustling. and, And then... 996. Yeah. And I'm wondering, I'm looking at their economy. Oh, there's a reason why their economy is far surpassing. Uh, our economy. It's just that look at their work ethic, and they don't complain and they just work hard. Mm-hmm. But I was living in this spoiled, born and born and raised in Vancouver and this Canadian Western kind of education, saying, yeah, you know, take it easy and you know, work your nine to five, put in your hours, and then get married, have some kids, and then save up a little bit. But I, I, but as the Immigrants came, Mm -hmm. they brought their work ethic and their work culture. And now all of a sudden it's a competition. So the bell curve, all of a sudden, you know, like a a B plus average was great before. But Mm -hmm. now if if the immigrants are coming in and they're all getting A's, your B plus is considered like mediocre, like barely passing. So one of the things that Douglas Todd points out is that uh,
0: so let's say you have a foreign buyer who doesn 't leave the house empty. they put their family in mm-hmm. into that uh house, yeah, but they stay back in wherever their home country yeah. is, making money mm-hmm. but they report their household income in Canada as being well that of somebody who yeah, lives on 20000 dollars or something a a like that mm-hmm. His point is and is and has been sort of um, agreed upon or supported yes. by a variety of other people who go okay, the family is benefiting from all of the uh, wonderful elements of Canadian society, yeah. education, roads, health care, and so on. The main household earner mm-hmm. isn't paying their fair share of Canadian
1: tax because they're not declaring an appropriate income. Is that a legitimate point? I think fair share is subjective. What do you say fair share? Let, so let's say that well, let's say I have two children going to school, and one of them gets sick, and they go to the hospital.
0: Mm-hmm. Is the amount of money that's being paid by increase in, in retail spending going to offset the, the, the costs associated with education and
1: health care? That's a good question. Do we have optics on that? do, do, we do have optics? Do we, do we have optics? Do we, can we see the numbers? This family pays $10,000 uh, per year in income tax but how much money are they contributing to the society? How much are they spending? Or this uh, family, um, foreign buyer lives somewhere in Asia or or Europe or wherever, and they're not contributing, but they're spending money in Vancouver, how much are they putting towards the economy? How much, what are they buying? Okay, but if
0: if, let's say I live here in Vancouver, and I'm a wealthy person, and I'm declaring my income, and I'm also spending here, yeah. well, then I'm making a much larger contribution, That's right. That's right. but the person who isn't making that declared income is getting benefits uh, to their family that they're not paying for that I am, yeah. and even if I have a comparable and that, kind that, of network. So,
1: so if you're, it, the, the problem is people want a fair society. Yes, They, they do. want everything to be fair, but you know, wake up, life's not fair. It's not, it's not completely fair all the time. Okay, but the reaction to that is going to be, but they're cheating. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, what can the government do about that? Well,
0: what they have done, they put in a speculation tax, an empty home tax, mm-hmm. and they're doing all these things
1: to try and uh, recover that. So, that amount that they believe is, is going missing out of the And when the, the government equation. implements these, these taxes and these policies, have they looked at the downside, to the so, economy. Okay, so that brings up a, yeah. a good point. What has
0: been the downside? We all see the impact That's on the real right. estate market. What do you see has been the impact well, of government policy? Foreign
1: buyers are just buying somewhere else. So they're taking their money out of Canada or BC, and they're investing in Seattle or Australia or other areas. So maybe areas that are taxed less. Is that what you're hearing from uh, potential clients? Yeah. Like, I don't deal with a lot of foreign buyers, but it's very common in the circle of wealthy individuals. Yeah, some will stay and and still invest, but some will just take their money and invest elsewhere. So then you can read in the news that people started investing in Vancouver, then they started investing in Toronto, and then they started investing in Montreal. And sooner or later, other provinces that are better with their policies or more favorable in their policies, investors are going to go there. So so you, you say we tinker with the market at our own peril. Yeah, that's right. I th- and there's always people who are going to uh, badmouth the tax. And then there's always going to be people... There. Well, supporting the tax, it's hard because... Yeah, yeah I know. Be careful there. I yeah. don't want too many people that support extra yeah, tax. Yeah, yeah. Unless they're the beneficiaries of yeah, that. Yeah, they, they have to weigh the pros and cons. Yeah. But here's what I have a problem with. It, I, I actually don't mind if the government charges taxes, if they use the money wisely. And then, so I'm not a, I didn't, so I didn't audit, I didn't audit the city spending. So I, I don't, I can't say, oh, well, they're spending X amount in this, X amount of this. I didn't audit them. But from hearsay, A lot of people in the industry, oh, the city's wasting their money. Where's our money going to? Where's our foreign buyer's tax money going to? Where's that increase in property transfer tax funds going to? There's a lack of transparency there. Well, there are, those are <laughs> those are questions that are never going to go away. Yeah, and I don't know whether that will yeah. be ad-
0: adequately answered. Yeah. But the the reality is, though, the majority of that tax money goes into supporting yes. the society yes. that we like to call home. Yeah, and 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 I think the sense is that we want people who come here come here with the best of intentions to say, "Yeah, I want to invest in in this region, your province, your country,"
1: mm. and I also want to be a fair contributor. Correct. Correct. And I think it's it's good. Um, charging the tax is one thing. How much? That's the question. How much? Should it be 2%, 1%, 0.5%? And what about the exemptions? Because I've been talking to uh, people and my team have been door-knocking individuals and everyone has no clue about their speculation tax. We give them the website, we give them the City Hall website and they're, they're clueless. What about my situation? What about mine? So we're saying even the realtors in the industry are saying hey talk to your accountant or lawyer because it's so many it's so gray there's so many gray areas mm-hmm. and there's so many different ways of interpreting what like the the law says so that's well, another challenge my the government shows absolutely
0: no sign of backing down yeah. so you may have a bit of a hard fight on yeah. your on your hands that's right that's yeah. right well, thank you for coming in and giving us and sh- your insights and sharing them. Uh-huh. Uh, it, uh, a very interesting perspective. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh-huh. yes. A,
1: contrarian as well. Yeah, it's very outside of the box. I always try to look at things with a um, bird's eye perspective. Yeah. You know, support against middle, but what's the truth? Mm-hmm. You know, and people, I think, they point fingers at uh, the government and they point fingers at the policies, but... Um I, I usually try not to um, emphasize or try to change policies. Like, yeah, I have my opinion about supporting or against it. But then I don't try to like lobby it and protest and, unless I'm going into politics. Right. But since I'm not, I'm like, okay, so how do I adjust with this curveball? This curveball got thrown. How do I adjust my life, my living situation, my job, my financial situation? You know, if I don't like it, I'll move. If I if I don't want to move, well, how can I adjust? How can I be flexible? There are going to be people who are going to call me to you. I can For just sure. imagine.
0: For Thanks, sure. Gary. You're welcome. Thank you. And that wraps up today's show. Now, just before I sign off, I want to encourage you to take in a couple of other Vancouver Sun and Province podcasts. The first is White Towel, hosted by Paul Chapman. Paul and a series of guest hosts bring you everything you want to and need to know about the Vancouver Canucks. For all you news junkies on things political in Victoria, you're going to want to tune into In the House, hosted by Mike Smith and Rob Shaw. Thank you for tuning in on Apple Podcasts, TheVancouverSun.com, and TheProvince.com, and on The Vancouver Sun's YouTube channel. Be sure to subscribe because you don't want to miss an episode. As well, I want to acknowledge the uh, great work of Arnold Cheng, Greta Gibson, and Derek Hader, without whom this show would not be possible, What a great team I get to work with. I'm Stuart McNish. Thanks for joining us on Housing Matters, The Vancouver Real Estate Show. See you next time. Mm-hmm.